Really great to have everybody here this morning. In spite of the uh, the deluge, it's going on outside, but what a great thing it is to have all of that rain. Uh, just a reminder, too, that uh, inside of the announcement sheet, you'll find an outline that you can use to follow along as we go through this message on the latter half of Romans chapter 6. And while you're getting that out and getting your Bibles open to Romans 6, just a reminder to all of the parents of our, our little guys here at Mac that there is a, there's a, a, a kickoff, a children's kickoff luncheon right after uh, our assembly this morning over in the fellowship hall. And uh, that's an opportunity for you to go with your kiddo and to have lunch with all of the other parents and, and kiddos in our church family and to sign up and to hear and to get involved and, and to get committed to all of the great things that are going to be happening with our kiddos over the next six to nine months. And uh, see Seanette Brandt, who is our, our children's minister, or Richard Chow for some more information about that. But uh, I, as your minister, let me encourage you, parents of small kids, to be a part of that luncheon today. Now, we are going to be looking at Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. And as we always do, let's bow our heads and join our hearts and ask God to bless us as we study His Word. Father, You are to be glorified because You are majestic and holy and faithful and loving and righteous in restoring us to covenant through the sacrifice of Your Son. And we stand back and and look at all of that great blessing And it humbles us, Father, beyond measure. In our humility and modesty before You, God, and the greatness of Your righteousness, we ask, Father, that You will bless us with eyes that see and ears that hear in order to understand even further and more profoundly and deeply what this all means for us in this life. We, we pray, Father, to, to be open to the ways that You change us and, and transform us from the inside out and in the deepest places of our soul. We pray, Father, that we never hide or, or try to camouflage any part of our being from Your will. And that we always, Father, uh, in all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love You for the greatness of Your blessings to us in Christ. And again, bless us, Father, as we study. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all the church said, There is uh, an old story, in fact, I've probably told you this story before, about, you know, decades ago when there would be these revival meetings for churches down by a river. And this was happening out in the country by a river. There was a group of people that gathered on the, the banks of the shore of a, of, a, of a stream, a river, where there was baptizing going on. And uh, as the preacher was saying a couple of words, he noticed that there was a, a fellow that was obviously very inebriated who was kind of staggering down towards them. And he got up out of the water and grabbed this individual, took him into the water, asked him, do you know Jesus? And the guy said no. So he grabbed him by the shoulders and plunged him down in the waters and brought him up. And he said... Did you find Jesus? And he goes, no. And so he grabs him by the shoulders again and drives him down into the water and brings him back up. And the guy's sputtering water. And he goes, did you find Jesus? And the guy goes, no. So he grabs him again and he throws him down into that water and holds him down for a full ten count. And then brings him back up and says emphatically, did you find Jesus? And the guy said, are you sure this is where he fell in? 
the moral of the story, and there is one, believe it or not, is that there's more to baptism than getting wet. You'll remember there's a statement from Frederick Buechner um, that we've been kind of using during the study of Romans that has, has kind of been a, um, a jumping off place for us in a lot of the studies. And the statement is this, the gospel is bad news before it's good news. The gospel is bad news before it's good news. The bad news is this. The message of the gospel is that every human being, every person who has ever been born, every human being is afflicted with a problem that they cannot solve on their own. They cannot resolve it. Paul says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, all have sinned and all do what? Fall short of the glory of God. But that's not where the story ends. That's not where the gospel stops. Because it's at that point that the gospel becomes good news. Once we realize that we have sinned, that we are afflicted with that, there's nothing that we can do in this fallen nature that we have inherited to, to merit uh, any kind of redemption on our own part in God's eyes. Once we accept that fact that we are sinners, that we do fall short of the glory of God, then we're ready for the good news, and that is God will not let that be. God will not let that be. If you back up one verse to verse 22, righteousness is given through faith in, say it, Jesus Christ to all who believe. He says in verse 25 that God presents Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. That this pays the penalty for the crimes that we have committed against God's good creation. His creation that He created in, in Hebrew, He called it tov. It's good and yet our crimes have brought a curse upon it. Our sins have marred it, have dismantled it, have deconstructed it. And it's Jesus' sacrifice that pays the penalty for the crimes that we are guilty of. That's how God is just. But at the same time, this, the payment of those sins, of those crimes, in Christ Jesus at the cross, that is the way that God justifies us or changes the way that He views us. In Romans chapter 3, verse 26, God did all of this to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So what the Gospel turns out to be is, is the story of God as the Father who celebrates the return of a delinquent son with a kiss and a robe and a ring and a, a welcome home barbecue in Luke chapter 15. It's, it's God not looking upon that fallenness as the end result and, and nothing can change, but in changing it through Jesus that those who have faith in what Christ has accomplished can find themselves coming home to, to God as their Father, into His embrace and into His feast. But here's the thing. If Genesis 3 teaches us anything about humanity, and it teaches us a lot, is that human beings are really good at messing up a great thing. And that's kind of what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 6. Uh, many of you, especially if you're just maybe a few years younger than me and, and older, you recognize, you know the name of W.C. Fields. He's a comedian from a couple of generations past. had this great line. He said, you know what horse sense is? That's the thing that a horse has to keep it from betting on human beings. One day... He's sitting in, his, in his, his trailer there as he's making a movie. One of his colleagues walks in, finds W.C. Fields reading the Bible. And as soon as he walks in and W.C. Fields, I mean, he's caught. He's reading the Bible. He snaps it shut 
And he says, I'm just looking for loopholes. Now, this is what Paul is addressing in Romans chapter 6. It's where people are looking for loopholes in all of the things that Paul has been talking about in terms of grace and atonement and the sacrifice and sin and all of these things. Looking for loopholes. Loophole number one is my sin makes God look good. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it is a human argument that if God's grace just makes Him look wonderful, then the more I sin, the better He looks with all of that extravagant grace. And so that's why he begins the chapter, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, with these words, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? The answer to that question is, Paul says, by no means, let me remind you of your baptism. If you think that, that, that sin is just something that doesn't really matter because of, of God's grace, let me remind you of your baptism. When you were baptized, you participated in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus and therefore died to sin. That's not symbolic. The word symbolism doesn't show up in Romans 6. It is a participation in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, making sin in the life of a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth incongruent. It doesn't make sense in a new life that has been given you in Christ. And that's why he goes on in verse 3 to say, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too, all of us with faith in Christ Jesus and what He has accomplished, that we too may live a new life. Which brings us to loophole number two. Which We, we looked at loophole number one last Sunday night. This morning we're really going to be focusing in on the second one, which is my sin doesn't really matter to God. My sin doesn't really matter that much to God. I'm not too worried about sin because God, in His grace, is going to forgive me. Which means, in other words, that I can do whatever I want to do because God will forgive me. I can really do, even if I know that it's the wrong thing to do, even if I have brothers and sisters in Christ that are telling me, this is the wrong thing to do, God will forgive me. It's all about grace. In other words, the salvation that you experience in Christ through His suffering and His death and His burial and His resurrection, has nothing to do with the way that you now live. And that, my friends, is an unbelievably mistaken notion about what baptism means. In verse 15, he says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Paul says, you don't understand your baptism. If you were to stand back and, and get a 5,000-foot view of Romans chapter 6, what Paul is saying in terms of, of, of sin and change and conversion is that in the first half of the book, it's about the forgiveness of your sin. As Christ died to sin, you died to sin too because of your faith in Him and in participating in His death, burial, and resurrection. The second half, beginning in verse 15, is you align your life with the will of God. Now, quite frankly, that's what Jesus did at the beginning of the Gospels, right, when He was baptized by John. Jesus had not committed any sin. He did not need a baptism for the forgiveness of sin. So why in the world did He get baptized? 
to fulfill all righteousness, or in other words, to line his life up with the will of God. And you remember what happened. The Spirit descends on him at that point. The Spirit drives him out into the wilderness. And what happens at the end of 40 days in the wilderness without, without you know, fasting? What happens at the end of those 40 days? The will of God is tested in his life. Satan comes to him and says, you're hungry. Well, if you're the Son of God, you have all of this power. Just turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says to him, listen, we, I don't live by, 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 by bread alone. I live by the Word of God. In other words, if the Spirit of God is what drove me into the wilderness, it is by the Spirit of God that I will come out. Or how about if you jump off of the highest point of, of the, the temple area and all of those people down below in the marketplace are going to see it. God will even send His angels to come and hold you up. Quote Scripture. And Jesus says, no, that is, not, that is not the will of God. That He would be exalted and glorified without the cross. And finally, He takes him to a place where He can see all of these kingdoms and say, I will give you this. I will give you this. If you'll just bow down and worship me. He says, I only worship God. My life is lined up with the will of God. And that's where Paul goes in talking about baptism beginning in verse 15. And there's three. We want to look at it from three different aspects. The first one is this. It's up on the screen. Everyone is a slave to something. You've heard me say over the years that the Bible never commands worship. It doesn't. The Bible assumes worship. The Bible recognizes that the human heart, the way that the human soul and the heart, the mind and the body, all the way that God put us together, that by nature, by, by, by being a, a creation of God, being a creature, that we are going to worship. The Bible assumes worship. The Bible knows that the human heart is built for worship. Therefore, the Bible says, worship God. The Bible says in a similar vein, that everyone is a slave. In a similar vein, the Bible assumes that you are a slave to something. There are only two kinds of people in the world. A slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. There is no third alternative. So Paul says in verse 16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or... Slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness. What Paul is saying is that there is no one who is free from those two choices. Now, you've also heard me say over the years that all of us have this God-shaped hole in our heart. And the only one that can fill the God-shaped hole in our heart is God. The problem is, is that we try to fill, as human beings, we try to fill that God-shaped hole in our heart with things that are not God-shaped, the things that are not God. And the point is, the master of your life is the very thing that you're trying to stuff inside of that hole. You are a slave to what you, you live for, what it is that you try to find meaning in by sticking it in that God-shaped hole. Now, it could be some form of acclaim or notoriety or a certain reputation that you're trying to get. Or it could be you know, a, a political cause or an ethical cause. It could be power, it could be influence, that you're, you know, you're trying to be a person of influence or a person of prestige. 
It could be money. It could be pleasure. It could be relationship. Whatever it is that you are trying to stick and stop inside of that God-shaped hole, Paul says that, that is the very thing that is your master. Now up here in the screen, in the middle of verse 16, what does it say? You offer yourself to it. And Paul will go on to say that choosing to be a slave to something other than God will come with three liabilities. The first is deterioration. It's a downward spiral. If it's slavery to stuff, one of the things that that can lead to is out-of-control debt or credit card debt. If it's a slavery to sex, believe it or not, that could lead to loneliness. If it's slavery to power, that can lead to corruption. If it's a slavery to the job, it leads to damaged marriages and families. So Paul says in verse 19, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to what? Ever, ever what? ever-increasing wickedness. So we deteriorate. Number two, shame. He will say in verse 20, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that right now, today, you are ashamed of? And then finally, death. Three liabilities, deterioration, shame, and death. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Now, most people only think about the cost of following Jesus. And that's the right thing. I mean, Jesus in Luke chapter 14 says you need to count the cost. Because you cannot be my disciple unless you pick up your cross every day and follow me. Most people think only about the cost of following Jesus and they never think about the cost of not following the Christ. And that's why everyone needs liberation from slavery. In other words, we need a true life conversion from that slavery to sin. In verse 5, listen to the language that Paul is using. If we have been, what? United with Him in a death like His we will certainly also be what? United with Him in a resurrection like His. You are no longer united to the Master who kills you. You're no longer united to the Master that will devastate your life and and abuse you, but you are uh, uh, united to the Master who will save you from, from death and will save you from a vain and a futile life. And that's why Paul says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, past, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern. You are obeying from your heart the pattern of the teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free. I'll never forget when James Tart about 12 years ago baptized his sister Amanda, right up here in this baptistry. And he had studied with her, and, and Amanda was coming out of a, uh, of a life that she wasn't too uh, uh, proud of. And, and, and James, I mean, when he said this, I thought, that's exactly it. James looks at his sister and says, Amanda, you have been rescued. You have been set free from sin and now have become slaves to righteousness. The Gospel is the truth that saves you. 
And in so doing, changes your allegiances. That's why baptism as a response to the Gospel is not just about participating in the death, burial, and resurrection, but it's also about realigning your life with the will of God. It's not merely a get-out-of-jail-for-free card, but it's a radical change of life. It's a radical change of life. You were born into slavery. Slavery to sin. It is now a new birth in Christ Jesus that frees you from the slavery of, to sin in order to live a different kind of life. Our problem, friends, is that we bring to the waters of the baptistry too little of a vision of the life we have been called to live in the Gospel. Is our highest ambition in light of the cross of Jesus and His resurrection only five acts of worship? There's a, a, a lot more to it than that. Is our highest ambition in being united to Him to become like Him? Conform to His image, Paul will say in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. You know, there were a, a group of us that, that talked about C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity a, a couple of months ago and talked about the, the greatness of the book and the things that, that Lewis, how he worded some of the things in, in, uh, in, in talking about what it means to become a disciple. In, in this chapter entitled Counting the Cost, he says, you know, most people think that you're going to be made into this decent little cottage. But God is building a palace. He intends to come and to live in it Himself. I mean, do we, under, do we understand that God intends to live in us? And that is why not seeing yourself as a slave to obedience, in verse 16, or a slave to righteousness, verse 17 and 18, or a slave to God, verses 20, 21 and 22, is tantamount to asking God to live in a house that's falling apart. Remember that slavery to sin is deterioration. And that's why it's crucial to understand the paradox. I, I, I read a great quote and basically said that freedom from God leads to slavery, but slavery to God leads to freedom. It's, it's freedom, but a different kind of freedom than we normally talk about in this life. It's, it, it's not the freedom where you chase down everything that you want to do in the name of really living that in the end lands you in death. And quite frankly, church, was that not the original sin? It was, was to believe the lie that said you need to break out of this obedience to God because God will mistreat you and God will mishandle you and God will ultimately disappoint you. When in fact it was the obedience, that slavery to the will of God that leads us out of the fear of death, out of the behaviors that harm us, that empowers us with strength and peace when the troubles come and brings us into eternal life and into the relationship with God where we don't need a veil to protect us but can see Him face to face. To finish that quote from C.S. Lewis from a couple of minutes ago, Lewis writes, you know, if we let Him, if we let God, for we can prevent Him if we choose, He will make the feeblest and the filthiest of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. The process will be long, and in parts, very painful. 
And he ends, but that is what we are in for. The book of Romans is about the faithfulness of God to His creatures, to His creation, to His will, to His covenant. But it's also about our transformation. And all of these things, and there are more, are what it means to believe the Gospel and to be baptized. Can we believe that? Don Ortberg uh, tells this really funny story about uh, little kids in Sunday school. He says, this church he was working at, there was this really wonderful and wise older woman who was working with little six-year-olds, little first graders, and she was having all of these little six-year-olds in her class reenact the story of creation. There's a little boy by the name of Jonathan that she made get up on top of a ladder and she gave him a flashlight and she said, you're going to be God. And when I give you the signal, you turn on the flashlight and shine it on everybody down below you and you say, let there be light. He said, okay. So she gets down off the ladder, leaves him up there. She starts working with the other kids to get them organized and knowing what they're supposed to do. When all of a sudden she feels this little tug at her skirt and she turns around and it's Jonathan. And he had come down off of that ladder and he said, I think you're going to have to get somebody else to play God. I'm just feeling a little too crazy this morning to be God today. You don't believe it or not, that's the first step to conversion. I'm just too crazy to be God. And a lot of really smart people never come down off of that ladder. And that's what it is that's offered. Is once you come to that place where you recognize that I don't care how good I try to be, even by, by the strength of self self-determination and, and, and self-willpower, that there are those unguarded moments where even when I'm, I'm trying to be good in that unguarded moment, when I'm not thinking about it, I'm not concentrating about it, I get caught off guard and I say the thing or I do the thing or I think the thing or, or something happens and I blow it. And that's all it takes. And when you come to the realization that the only way that you're ever going to find your, your, your life in peace and in strength and in the presence of God is by trusting what it is that is offered to you in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And when you're baptized, your sins are forgiven. And when you are baptized, you are lining your life up with the will of God for the rest of your life. We're going to have a couple of our shepherds down here at the front, and there are lots of needs that, that, that we have in our church family every week. And maybe one of those is that maybe you've been thinking about your life and all of a sudden you realize, I need to come down off of that ladder because I'm too crazy to be God. And you're ready to allow God to be God. And you're ready to allow God to do with your life everything that God intends to do and wants to do through Christ Jesus. If that describes you this morning, then we want you to come down and to talk to these shepherds who will help you figure the rest of it out and, and, and in study and in counsel and in prayer lead you to a place where God calls you child and you call Him Father. If that describes you this morning, talk to these shepherds as we stand and sing.
can wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And all the church said, you may be seated. We want to recognize... We want to recognize uh, Margaret Clark as a, a new member of our church family. Margaret, can we have you stand? Where are you? Right here. Welcome. Also, uh, the Burkharts uh, are leaving us for, for Tennessee with a, a change of, of, of base and, and service for, uh, for Chris. Writes, this is our last Sunday at MAC. We are grateful for all the love and the friendship we have experienced here. We have felt very blessed to be a part of the Mac Church family the last three years. We ask for your prayers as we make this transition. 